Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back uh, here with you guys. Uh, Some of you, uh, I remember your faces. Bincy's here. I remember Bincy's face. We used to go to church together in Chicago. It's awesome. Um, Yeah, I remember some of your faces. I apologize. I don't remember all of your names. Uh, But we're really happy to be back. For those that don't know, uh, my wife Janelle is sitting up here in front. And we just got back about two months ago from spending the last three years of our lives living in northern Iraq, uh, doing ministry in in refugee camps and planting house churches and uh, things like that. And it was great. It was great. I mean, even coming, for those that were at the GRIP Gala last night, I know Scott and Sean were here last week, and they were talking about the gala coming up, and uh, just just being there last night and kind of remembering like my journey is like the Lord was taking me uh, back and just kind of seeing where grip started and where I started and the picture where I looked five years old, but I was really 16. Uh, just remembering that, like who I used to be and then looking at my life now and it's, Pastor Dave's right, it's, it's nothing I would have ever dreamed of. If you would have told that 16-year-old kid that he was going to one day grab his wife and three kids and they were going to move to Iraq, to minister to Muslims, I would have thought you were completely out of your mind. I mean, like the furthest thing from the truth. I remember at one point somebody asked me if I wanted to go. They were telling me, oh, you're going to be a pastor and a youth pastor. You got to call on your life. and You're going to go to Moody. And I remember saying, like, I don't want to go to school to learn how to be poor. Because <laughs> like, that was my mind. That was my thinking for ministry. Like, no, I, that's not what I want to go to school for. And just to see, you know, like I remember in 2010, I was on staff at GRIP, and then in 2010, I quit my job and said, all right, we're going to give ourselves to making disciples. We're going to give ourselves to the church. And so we stepped out, and I remember Scott was saying, like, it's, this, is, this isn't very, you just had a baby, you just got married, you don't have savings, you don't have a credit card, you don't even have a car, but you're going to quit your job, and your wife doesn't work, and you're just going to go for it. And I, I remember being like, yeah, that doesn't make sense either. Like, I, I, I see how it doesn't make sense, but I just, I couldn't shake, shake it. Like, I had to. Uh, and I just know, like, I, wouldn't, I would not have been able to make those decisions had it not been for my awesome wife, who uh, agrees with me on most things, because I'm usually right. And, you know, just, but really, no, but if it had not been for the experiences that I've had and seen, and and seeing Scott and and his family take a step of faith and leaving the business world to start grip and just seeing those things that didn't make sense in the natural uh, and being able to to say, all right, well, it's it's my turn to at least try, to at least try. And I remember a month after I left grip, after I told Scott, like, no, God's called me to do this. I'm I'm taking a step of faith. God's going to provide for us. And we were like a week away from rent and bills, and we had no money. I just, I remember that because I remember being in bed and literally crying myself to sleep. It's probably the only time in my life I've ever done that. I was in bed, I turned my back to my wife, and I was just in bed crying, saying, God, this is your fault. Like, I'm only here because I thought you told me 
quit my job and put it all on the line, put my family at risk. Like, and I was like, God, I can't be out on the street. And I, I like, you got to do something or I've got to go back and ask Scott for my job back because rent's due next week. And I just remember like that feeling of like, God, I, I need you to do something because I'm only here because I was trusting you. And he didn't respond that night. And the next day I woke up, I went to a prayer meeting, and I remember asked, there was a, me and one other guy who was a mailman who showed up to the prayer meeting on his break. And I remember he said, what do you need prayer for? And I said, man, I need, we're, you know, pretty much we're broke. Like, we need, we need finances, you know, we got bills to pay. And he's like, okay, well, I'll pray for you. And I remember he started to pray, he said, God, I pray that you would confirm the call you've placed on his life. And I remember when he said that, I thought, that's an odd prayer. I don't need that. I need money, bro. <laughs> like, you know, like, you're a single guy. You got a good job, you know. And I remember, like, these were the thoughts going through my head as he was praying. And I thought, like, why would he pray that? And then it, just, it hit me. It hit me, like, cause right in my chest, like, right in my heart, where it was like, no, like, you do need. That's what you actually need. You don't need money. And I knew in my heart, like beyond the natural, beyond my flesh, my spirit was saying, if you could just be convinced that this is what you're supposed to be doing, you'll make the necessary sacrifices. If you got to cut off your phone or whatever, like you'll do it if you, and that's really what was going on in my heart. I was really saying, God, I just need to know that I heard from you. That's what this is really about. I need to know that I'm I'm not making this stuff up. That was... Eight years ago, uh, man, what's today's date? In two days, uh, it'll be eight years since I left GRIP. And then that journey just has been, every month I had to learn that lesson again for a solid three to four years. Literally every month, freaking out about bills getting paid. Just like I was on Craigslist trying to sell my kids and every Like, <laughs> like we got to make this happen, you know? And... It, it was every month I kept having to relearn this lesson of just trusting God because we needed, you know, like at that time, like two grand a month. And then God called us to move to northern Iraq. And then it was like, oh, what's it going to cost to live there? And we're looking at the expenses and it was like, oh, this is going to, it's going to be like 3500 a month and we need like 50 grand to just even move there because we've got to buy, you know, and furnish a place and tickets and everything and I just remember when that happened and people were like, man, that's a lot of money. And I remember in my heart just feeling like, it's going to be cool. Like, we've been here before. Like, it's more money than I've ever needed, but God's provided everything we've needed for years. And, like, just remembering God's track record of faithfulness uh, encouraged me in that time and gave me the faith to believe, like, it's going to work out. And I want to I say thank you to you guys because you guys, this church has been a big part of that, has been a big part of encouraging us and standing with us over the last three years. I feel like every time I've come here in the last three years, we had a need. One, the first time we needed heaters for our house. Another time uh, we needed uh, power over the summer uh, to run our air conditioners when it was 115 out. And every time we, and one time I had a, uh, I remember I even had a debt because somebody loaned me the money to buy plane tickets so we could come back on our furlough. And every time I came 
Every time I shared, God, this is, this is what we need. And every time Harvest would, somebody would come and call or email or say, hey, we want to help. This is, how, this is what we can do. And I'm so grateful to you guys because we together get to celebrate one day in heaven what we did together. There's Muslims right now. There's a Syrian refugee who's just maybe two days ago had a, I don't even know if you would call it like a fundraising event, but he had some sort of event because there's, there's, they don't have a concept for local missions in Iraq. And so they have missionaries that come in, but like, sent, like them supporting their own to be missionaries, like that's, not, that's a foreign concept unless he's the pastor who runs the church. And then he just gets a salary from the church. But like raising up people from within to just do ministry and supporting them. And as a Syrian refugee, we've been discipling for a few years now. Who just had, they just had an event like two, three days ago uh, in Iraq to just cast a vision to the believers. Like, hey man, this, this is it right here. This is the face of the new church. Muslims that are getting born again and are going to start discipling Christian background and Muslim background. They have a passion for Jesus but we've got to get behind them. And I'm super pumped about that because it's new. It's a new thing for them and for him. I, we spent a few years of our lives pouring into this guy, so I'm excited for him uh, in particular. But you should be excited for him because it was your sacrificial giving, your prayers that w- was able to make that happen, was able to pour into Abdul. You know, our team, we're, me and the, the rest of the team, we're, we're all very different in giftings and callings. Uh, and so I, 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 would, I loved just sitting with this guy, Abdul, because he had, I mean, as, as good of a setup as, as I've seen because, you know, I've, I'm, I'm naturally, me and my wife are naturally pastoral and shepherdy and we want to just hang out. And, you know, so we would just kind of be like, man, how are you doing? Like, what's going on? How's your family doing? How's your mom? And just caring about him. And then another guy in the team was the one taking him to the camps a couple times a week to translate for him and do an outreach. Another guy was meeting with him about leading the house church and organizing the house. And so he was just getting kind of this like surround sound training of, from different aspects. And so now when we're, when we're like, hey, man, we really feel like you need to take this next step and just step out and just lead. You know, and, and take over a house church. And he's like, all right, man, if you guys think I'm ready. And it's exciting because we're actually getting to see this happen. This is things we've been praying for. God, save Muslims in Iraq. And they're getting saved. And they're getting discipled. They're getting baptized. And this is because we were praying and we were willing to invest our lives in Iraq. I don't say we as in us. I mean we as in us. Because you guys are just as much a part of that as we are. Because without you guys, we wouldn't have been able to do it. And so I'm so grateful to you guys. The team is grateful. This year, uh, the hope and the plan is to start a, a youth center or uh, in Mosul, which used to be the headquarters of ISIS when ISIS was still around. And uh, we've, we've, we've been in there a few times, and we've met with governors and governor's assistants and mayors and different people. And so the, the plan is that they are going to... The government is going to take our team into different schools for like three-month pilot programs. And we're going to get to just teach a class. Now, because we're still trying to figure out what this relationship looks like, and, you know, we can't be openly Christian, uh, we're doing, the, the plan is to be doing some sort of like a CrossFit class in Mosul. So they may not speak English, but they're going to learn the word burpee. <laughs> 
you know. And so it's very, but it's exciting because we'll be able to build relationship with young men in the city. And if if you if you do work out, if you've ever played any sports, you know there's a, a a natural like respect that comes for those that are like coaches or teaching you. And if especially if you're in the gym, if they're stronger than you, you respect them, and you're kind of like, man, this this guy. So it's it's a great way for the team to just build relationship with the young men to get in there. You know, just be with them, and then outside of that, visiting in homes and ministering to families and things like that. So you guys can continue to pray for what God's doing because this, this youth program is going to be huge. Because the government is giving us like, hey, here's a school, go for it. And then we're going to take you to another school in a couple of months. And another school in a couple of months. And I really believe, forget all the political things that are happening in Iraq. If the young people don't get reached in Iraq... We're going to see another ISIS in 10, 15, 20 years. Because anybody my age that's from Mosul has grown up under ISIS and has grown up under Al-Qaeda. Mosul was, the, 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 was a very strong Islamic city in Iraq. And so the, 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 they grew up under radical Islamic ideologies. And this is all they know. And so we're saying we're seeing God opening a door now to get in there and make a difference. Right? Make a difference in these young men's lives who are going to be leading families one day. It's so funny because what we, the way we're thinking about GRIP and what GRIP is doing in the city with young men and combating fatherlessness, it's the same problems in Iraq. Not fatherlessness, but fatherlessness, but it's just sin manifested. And the answer is the same in Iraq as it is in Chicago. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. And so I'm so excited about what God's doing in the city, what God's doing overseas and how God is... Uh, shifting the focus of, of missionaries all over the place to the Middle East. Like God's like highlighting a region of the globe because he has plans to pour out his spirit in, this, in that land. And I, I really believe that with everything uh, in my heart. And so I want to thank you guys uh, for that, for our time in Iraq. Uh, now, for, for those that ha- don't know, uh, we're back f- until maybe September, October. And then me and my family, we're, we're moving down uh, to Orlando, Florida. We don't know what we're going to be doing there yet. We just know God's called us to go there. And it's similar with Iraq and all the other, you know, crazy things we've done over the last eight years since we left GRIP. Like we're just going to trust God. We're going, to, we're going to go there. We're going to be there. And we're just going to believe that he's going to meet us and speak to us. Uh, so please, you can pray for us that God will give us clarity uh, over the next few months as we're visiting churches and family and friends and, and you know, doing these, these kinds of things. Uh, that God would just give us clarity as to what these next steps are actually uh, supposed to look like. But in the fall, we're planning to be down in uh, Orlando. So if you guys are down there, you can come visit us. If anybody is uh, <clears throat> wants to help us board up our house from hurricanes in like October, November, let me know. I've never done that before. I'm <laughs> a city boy. Uh, but we're very excited about this next season of just walking with Jesus uh, in, in Chicago now and in Orlando. Uh, so if we can, I'd like to, to take some time now and just get into the word this morning, uh, <clears throat> if you would turn with me to John chapter 17, <clears throat> several years ago I was, uh, there was a, a church that I was a part of and they were having like an outreach program in a park and they had some people there that were really prophetic and there was like a, I don't know if it was supposed to be like a prophetic booth or like, a, I, I don't know, all I know is they were, these people that are, were prophetic were just, had lines of people that wanted to get prayed for or they've had dreams that they felt like God spoke to them and 
you know, so I was just like, oh, that sounds cool. So I sat down, and I remember I sat down expecting, like, I'm going to hear this, like, you know, thus saith the Lord, and give me, like, clear direction for my life. And all she said was, I feel like you need to look into what eternal life is. And I was like, okay. And then I went home and I looked up eternal life and I'm looking at my concordance and I'm reading different things and I'm like, I still don't get it. And so I think like a couple of weeks went by and, and she was a, a, the sister of one of the guys I went to church with. So I was like, hey man, can you give me your sister's number? Because she gave me this word and I don't really get it. And so I messaged her and said, this is what you told me. And she was like, yeah. She's like, John 17, 3, this is eternal life. That, you may, that they may know God, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's what I meant. And I was like, well, why didn't you just say that? <laughs> and I remember then sitting there looking at this like, okay, I'm looking at it. John 17, 3, this is eternal life. Jesus defines eternal life for us. That they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And so if you would have asked me before this, what is eternal life? I would have said, it's living forever. It's right there. But Jesus defines eternal life differently. That they may know you, the one true God. The word know, and this is what made the difference for me when I was looking this up and studying this. The word know in Greek is Ginosko. And I'm going to read you the definition for this Greek word and the way it's used in John 17.3. It says, to learn or to know a person through direct personal experience. Implying a stability of relationship. To know, to become acquainted with, or to be familiar with. In translating Ginosko in John 17.3, it is important to avoid any expression which will mean merely to learn about. Here, the emphasis must be on the interpersonal relationship, which is experienced. Right? So when Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they would know God, that you would know God. He's not saying that you would know about him, that you would know what he's like, that you would know that he wants you to be holy. He's saying you should have a direct personal experience with God that leads you to knowing him. That's what eternal life is. Do you know God? Have you had a personal experience with him that when you walk away from that, you feel like you knew him better? In the early third century, the uh, Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek for the Jews that didn't know the ancient Hebrew language, and so it's called the Septuagint. And in the Septuagint, they use, they, they use this word in Genesis 4.1, which says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and they, she conceived and gave birth to a son. Now we know what that means, that he knew his wife. But the point here is that Adam had an experience with his wife. He knew her intimately. And it produces son. I'm not saying that's what Jesus is talking about. I'm saying Jesus is saying, listen, the know that I'm talking about, that that is eternal life, is experiential. 
It's, it's not just in our heads. <clears throat> so if we were going to read John 3.16 with this <clears throat> definition, it would say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but they will know God. They will experience God. I feel like so much of my Christian life in my early years was just waiting for the time when we left this earth where then I would begin to experience eternal life and then I would get to know God. That's what I felt. What, and I don't know if I can even point back to somebody actually telling me that as much as something I just picked up along the way. Eternal life starts when we die. But that's not true. Because you can know God now. You can experience God now. Because that's what Jesus is defining as eternal life. You can experience, your kids can experience, your family can experience eternal life today. You can know him in an experiential way. And I can't keep saying that enough because it's really the point here. That we can have an intimate experience with Jesus. That's why he made himself available. That's why he came from heaven and put on flesh forever. Right now, Jesus is in heaven with flesh on. It wasn't like he temporarily, it's like, I'm going to become a human for these, you know, 33 years while I'm on the earth. And then when I get my glorified body, I'm going to go back to being me. No, no, no. Jesus is still has flesh. There's still holes in his hands and his feet and in his side. And he's saying, you can experience me. Not just know about me, but actually having an encounter. Knowing me deeply. Jesus' goal was not just to get us into heaven. His goal was to get heaven into us. So that we would know what it's like that we could live. And I remember being in in, in refugee camps and being completely overwhelmed with the needs. My first, we landed on a Wednesday and on Saturday we went to a camp. And I remember sitting there and we're talking to a guy who's lost his like three-year-old son to a bomb. And then they had to flee right after that. And I remember Dave the guy on our team leans over and he was like, like, you can, you know, go ahead, you can share with this guy. And I remember being like, I don't know what to say. Like, what am I going to tell this guy? He's lost everything. Well, just believe in Jesus and your life's going to get better, bro. And I remember coming to a place in my own heart where I was like, God, I don't know how much I, I really believe this right now. How, how on earth does the gospel help this guy? And I remember I wrestled through that and the, and the Lord helped me to see that the, the real uh, need for the gospel is, is always present because with Jesus, no matter how difficult things can get around you, you can have peace. You can have joy because you've experienced his love. No matter how dark or bad things can get, you could be in prison and singing praises to God and the guards are getting saved. Because if you have Jesus, when you've experienced his love, when you know him, when you know him, it makes everything different. Because Jesus will allow you to look at your circumstances from his perspective, 
No longer is it like, oh man, look at all these bad things happening around me. Look at how bad, look at the bank account. Look at the house is falling apart. Look at the kids, they're acting up. Look at how crazy. You can sit there and say, Jesus, I need you right now. Because my life is a mess. I feel like it's, it's spinning around me. And I'm spending more time focused on my circumstances than I am on you. But you're not going to do that unless you open up your heart to experience him in a real way. Otherwise, you're going to go through that all week. You're going to show up here on Sunday. You're going to be like, I'm here. God, do your thing. And God's like, no, I want to be at home with you when it's going crazy and it looks like it's all hitting the fan. I want to be there with you and I want you asking me what I think. Because God doesn't want your bank account to be crazy. He doesn't want your house falling apart. But he wants you to look to him so you can look at it and be like, you know what? It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. Because we have eternal life. Because we know him. Because we experience him. That's when you, when you read the scriptures and we read about these great men of God that walked with Jesus. And the things that they did. When you read through Hebrews 11 and, you know, men who were sawed in two, being fed to the lions, these crazy things. Why would they do that? What would cause them to do something like that? If it wasn't for this experience that they had that showed them that this doesn't really matter because they have him, because they've experienced him. And when you experience him, you can experience him anywhere. Anywhere. I remember a buddy of mine used to work on a construction site. And I remember he told me he hated working on his construction site because everybody he worked with just cursed like a sailor. It was always profanity and just vulgar language and they were just mean. And I remember he said that what he would do to get away is that he would go to the porta potties. And he said the port is a construction site. He said the porta potties were filled with adult images taped to the walls. And he said, I would sit in there and I would close my eyes. And he said, I would, I would just say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I love you. And he said, and he would come and he would fill my heart. He would fill that porta potty with his presence. And you're hearing the story and you're like, what? <laughs> but it's true. You can experience him anywhere. You just have to look in. Because that's where he is. So often we're like, okay, well, once the house gets fixed and once this gets settled and that clears, and then once we get the kids behaving, then we can sit down with our Bibles and then we can pray and we can talk to God because then, you know, otherwise, it's like, you know, when I, when we go to bed at night and I'm like, hey, let's, let's watch something. And my wife's like, I got to clean the kitchen. And I'm like, no, let's, let's watch something. And she's like, I got to clean the kitchen because she's like, I can't sit down and relax if the kitchen's not clean before I go to bed. Cause in the morning I got to make breakfast and I'm going to have to do the kitchen, right? Like, it's like, that's how we are with God. It's like, God, I, I really want to focus on, on you and give you my attention, but all this other stuff is happening right now. When really what should be happening is my wife should watch the office with me every night. <laughs> no, but really what should be happening is, is we should be saying, God, I know I have all these other things to do. But I'll give you five minutes of undivided attention, Jesus. Just I'll give you five. And I, I promise you, friends, if you, if you give him those five minutes, he'll make it last for hours. Because it's the only place you're going to find real rest.
I've shared this before here, but Jesus' name is the only name that gives rest. You can close your eyes and you can say, Jesus. And it starts to quiet your soul and starts to quiet everything else. It's the only name that works with. You can't say, Frankie. But you can, you can say Jesus wherever you are, no matter who's around. While you're washing dishes, changing diapers, or fixing cars, or sitting at a desk, you can take a second and just, Lord, let me just focus on you. Let me see my, my day through the lens of Jesus. And that only comes from experiencing him, from having this intimate knowledge, and that's what he's looking for. He's looking for people that know him. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Matthew 7, 15. says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. That word know is different. That word know is more of the know about. It's not the same word that we're talking about. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter to the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus is going to look at some people and he's going to say, listen, I know you did all of those great things. I know your ministry was great and I know you served well. But we, don't, we never had a real intimate experience we never had a real encounter I, I don't know you I never knew you meaning there was a chance you had the opportunity to know me and you didn't take it we didn't get to know each other it's one of the scariest passages to know that there's people, we can be effective in ministry. Demons were cast out, people were healed, people were prophesying, and they didn't even have the encounter with Jesus that really mattered at the end of the day. Because we were so busy. I mean, I, there's been years of my life where this was me. I was so busy with ministry, and I saw the fruit of ministry as validation that what I was doing was right, and Jesus was like, hey, this is the best. You could possibly be doing right now. But the whole time, I was missing him. I wasn't experiencing him. And that comes from spending time with him. This passage, the focus of this passage isn't whether or not the miracles and the prophecy was legitimate or not. Or how people, how to know if people are really saved or not. Listen, the goal here is this. Does Jesus know you? Oftentimes in, in, in evangelistic crusades or, or meetings, people will ask, have you accepted Jesus in your life? Well, how come we're not asking, is, is Jesus going to accept you? Does he know you? Are you? Have you been open with him? Have you been real with him? Have you experienced his love? 
Not do you have a, 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 a head knowledge of his love. Not can you say, amen, I know Jesus loves me. But in the midst of life, can you close your eyes and be affirmed of his love? Can you open up the word and read and say, this is him loving me. He's showing me that he loves me. Knowing God in an intimate way like this, it only happens by spending time reading your Bible, praying, and obeying. It seems too easy. It's almost offensive. You mean to tell me that that's what God wants from me? Yes. He wants a relationship with you. Right? That's what we tell people. Right? It's not a religion, it's a relationship. Well, how is the relationship going? How is it going? Because that's what really matters at the end of the day. Because we don't get to come to Jesus with our resume of ministry experience. We get to come to Jesus and say, it's you. There you are. All these years I've been, I was searching for you and I, I could hear your voice and I could feel your touch, but there you are. You're really there now. Like, he's the one that our hearts are longing for. He's the one that our hearts should be searching for. So when we see him, when we get a glimpse of him, it should bring so much joy and so much peace and so much love. Because the last thing I want to happen in my own life is that I leave this earth one day and I see Jesus and I'm like, yeah, this is awkward. I don't really know how to talk to you. And sometimes, if we're honest, that's what it's like. You sit down. Okay, Jesus, I'm here. I don't know what to do, though. But it's not like, but we're really good at doing other relationships. We have friends, some of us are married, and we're really good at engaging those relationships. Hey, honey, I, I, we need a date night because things are just off, right? Somebody come watch the kids. I haven't hung out with so-and-so in a while. I'm going to give them a call and see if they, you know, wants to go get some wings and watch the game. Right? We can invest in those relationships, but then when we're aware that our relationship with Jesus isn't what it could be or what it should be. All of a sudden, the enemy swoops in and condemnation sets in. And all of a sudden, we're like, yeah, he doesn't want to hear from me. When it's the exact opposite. It's as simple as spending time with Jesus. One of my favorite things to do in life is being with my wife. No matter where I'm at. Every, everything I, is, is better when Janelle is with me. I remember when we first moved to Iraq in April of 2015, and then I was planning a trip to come back because we needed to raise some money, and I was going to a conference. And no, I came back in November. I was back for a month, and I remember thinking like, oh, man, when I get back to Chicago, I'm going to go to Portillo's. I'm going to get pizza. I'm gonna, and I was like, the list of all the foods I was going to eat was long <laughs> and glorious. And I remember I got back, 
And I went to Portillo's, and I ate, and I was like, eh, it wasn't as good. So I thought maybe it was just an off day at Portillo's. Because <laughs> they're usually faithful. <laughs> so I got a burger somewhere else, and it was like, it was a good burger, but it wasn't. And I literally, I realized all of this food would have been better if I was sitting with Janelle. It would, because it, it's just, I'm just, we we share our lives together. Everything, all the good things of my life would have been way better had I had somebody to share it with. And not just somebody, her. Because other people were like, oh, you're back, let's go out to eat. And I'm eating burgers, I'm like, eh, that's cool, you're not my wife though. <laughs> and I remember, it's like, for us, I, re- I remember that month. Because the whole month, I was like, man, I just want to go back. I just want to go back and be with Janelle, be with my kids, eating shawarma and you know, like, because that's, that's, that, that relationship means something to me. I, I, I was lovesick. I wanted to be with her. Food tasted blander without her. And if, that, I can, if, if it's possible to feel this way about our husbands, about our wives, about our parents, about our best friends, how much more, how much more is it possible to feel this way about Jesus? To say, Jesus' life is just so much better with you. And I don't want to live a life that says, Jesus, I'm going to be there. I'll meet you there. I'm saying, Jesus, come on, let's go. Come with me. Perhaps you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay. So I don't know God like I thought I did. Now what? Because I've been there. I've been there where the Holy Spirit has called me to the carpet and been like, okay, this this what you're talking about? What does that look like in your life, Frank? And as Pastor Dave shared, like, I, I believe these words that I'm sharing, they're, they're I know, at least in my heart, they're not meant to rebuke and condemn anyone. These words, this, pa- this passage of Scripture, this challenge to really know and experience Jesus in an intimate way, is, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to say, listen, if this is you, if you've been in, in this, going to this church, for how long has the church been around? If you've been going to this church for 23 years, or you, this is your first day here, if you know that you really don't know Jesus. I'm not asking, are you, do you know you're saved? I'm not asking, do you serve in ministry? I'm saying, in your heart, when you're alone in a room, and it's just you and him, do you feel awkward and uncomfortable and like you don't know what to say or do? If that's you, there's an invitation for you today. Where Jesus is saying, hey, listen, I could make all that awkwardness go away. I can make it all go away. But I need you to let me in. I need you to invite me in to these areas of your heart that are hard, that are callous, that are numb. I need you to let me in. You know, the... I'll finish up with this as a story in Luke 15 of the story of the prodigal son. 
which if it was up to me, I would rename it the story of the faithful, loving father. Because the story is really about him. The story is about a father whose son completely walks away, squanders his inheritance, insults his father, saying, I I wish you were dead so I could get my stuff and go live my own life. And when he finally comes to his senses, he comes back and he, re- he returns. And I, I, my favorite part of the story is when the father is sitting, I just imagine him sitting out the window just watching, looking at the driveway. Like he's going to come back one day. I know he is. And it says as soon as he sees him, he pulls up his man dress. I don't know what those things are called. <laughs> and he takes off, he runs to him. He's not even, like, he's not even so, so filled with pride that he's like, you come to me. You wronged me, so now you come to me. He says, no, no, he's coming, and he takes off running towards you. Friends, I'm telling you, if you, if you open your heart now and you just say, Jesus, I know, I know I don't know you like I want to. Forget the way I should or could. Do you know Jesus as much as you want to know him right now? If you want to know him more, just tell him that. If you want the relationship to be stronger and healthier, tell him that. Because he wants the same thing. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that if you just opened your heart and you said these things to him, if you were honest with him about where you're at, because he already knows where you're at. He's already diagnosed the relationship. He's not surprised. But nothing's going to get fixed until you acknowledge it. But I know that if you did, he would respond with love. Because he's waiting at the window, staring at the driveway, waiting for you. He's waiting for you to respond in your own heart and say, Jesus... I don't know what happened. I don't. But I know I'm not happy with it. And as being as honest as that, there's been times in my own marriage where I've had to sit down with my wife and we had to have these conversations. Like, I don't know why we're off, but we're off and it's not cool. And Jesus is looking for the same thing. I know last week Sean shared about returning to our first love. This is what I'm talking about. Returning to your first love, and if you've never loved him before, just come to your first love. He'll be the best love you've ever had. Because it's the only pure love you're ever going to find. The only love that there's, where there's no strings attached. He just wants to love you. He just wants you to experience his love. Graham Cook says that even if you have no plans to return that love, he still wants to pour out his love on you. He still wants to give you all of his love because he doesn't know what else to do with it. But we have to open up our hearts and we have to be the ones to say, Jesus, come and, f- and fill me with your love. Jesus, I know I, I, it's, it, things are not right and I need them to be right. Even the most callous, numb heart can say, Jesus, I'm, it's not what it could be, what it should be. It's not where I want it to be. Help. Because there's been times of my life where I've literally, that's been my prayer. 
times in my life where it's just been like, Jesus, I don't even know. I just know that I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with the, uh, the amount of your love that I'm getting. And it's not because you're withholding. There's something in me that needs to change. And you promised that you would give me a new heart. So I'm asking, Lord, give me a new heart today. So I want to encourage you guys to forget about the past. Forget about how bad the week was. Forget about how unfaithful you've been this week or the two previous weeks or previous months. Forget about how hard or, you know, whatever your your heart is. I'm talking about right now. Jesus isn't thinking about what happened last week. He's thinking about right now. He's sitting at the window at the driveway thinking, what are they going to do? Like he's he's ready. He's he's ready. He's listening for the gunshot to take off running to come and meet you and fill you with his love and encounter you so that you would know him, so that you would have eternal life. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, I thank you that because of Jesus, we can even know you. You, the creator of the universe, the maker of heaven and earth. We can experience you, God, because of Jesus' love. No one else, no one else in the world, no other faith, no other religion, no other cult, no other group can say with honesty that they can experience But we can, Lord. Today, we all can say we can experience the living God. Holy Spirit, I pray that right now, if there's guilt, if there's shame, if there's embarrassment in this room, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would completely remove it now in Jesus' name. That you would remove all guilt and shame and you would fill our hearts with hope and faith and love. That we could believe that things could be better than they are right now, Lord. And I pray that you would put a tenacity in us to fight for it. To not settle for anything less than experiencing your love. God, I pray that today you would fill hearts with your glory, Jesus. Make people hungry for you. Lord, increase our appetites. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God, I pray that you would increase our capacity to hunger and thirst for you, because you will fill us. We want big, mega cups to be filled, God. Jesus, we love you. We truly do. We worship you, Lord. You're worthy of all of our attention in every moment of every day. So God, I pray, Lord, that today and throughout the next couple of days, the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be sensitive and aware of you, Jesus. 
regardless of what's happening, from the mundane things of life to the spectacular things going on this week. I pray, God, that every diaper that gets changed is filled with your presence. Every dish that gets washed is an encounter with your love, Lord. Every email that gets sent and report that gets turned in is done with a heart filled with joy and peace and love. God, don't let us leave here today the same way we walked in. Holy Spirit, grab a hold of us and never let go. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.